On today's episode of GM Street, we will talk about the New England Patriots and why Baker Mayfield was possibly the number two pick and why that story came out. We're going to talk about Lamar Jackson and his first impression with the Baltimore Ravens. And we're going to talk about the many QB contract situations that are all upcoming with Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, and potentially Russell Wilson franchise tagging himself in the future. And as always, we are part of the Ringer Podcast Network, where the Ringer NBA show has you covered for all things NBA playoffs. We also launched a new food podcast, The Dave Chang Show, so be sure to gobble that up. And be sure to check out TheRinger.com, where we have Westworld coverage, spicy NBA takes, Infinity War, a Marvel movie, and more. And now, let's get on with GM Street. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Monday, it is May 7th, and we are in the office of our boss, Bill Simmons, and I'm joined by Mr. Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm feeling all the Celtic love in here. Of course, you know, Simmons is saying it's the Sixers don't need LeBron because, you know, I mean, there's a motivation behind it. You know, Al Davis used to do this all the time. Like, he used to say, don't believe what they say. Understand why they say it. And, you know, Bill saying we don't need LeBron, it's just because he doesn't want him to go to Philly because we desperately need LeBron. I mean, you have to admit that, right, Tate Frazier? The 76ers desperately need LeBron. They need some help, and we're going to talk about uh, a lot of stuff going on in the NFL today, but at the top, we know that some things have gone around. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. Yes, this may be the last time we talk about the playoffs if the Sixers end up getting swept tonight by the Celtics. Oh, the brooms are out, Tate Frazier. The brooms are definitely out. Uh, The Celtics have not faltered at all, despite, you know, it seeming everyone on their team seemingly going down throughout this whole uh, season. You know, Kyrie, Hayward, Jalen Brown's back and forth but somehow they still dominate your Sixers and and they get a game three win that went to overtime it looked like all the stars were aligning for a home victory in Philadelphia. Yeah, up by and, five and in overtime, it. and then we decided we wanted to put on a clinic of bounce passes. Bounce passes with spins. That was always nice. And then the alley-oop. I, look, I think the Celtics have a confidence about them when they play Philadelphia. You could just see it. Like, they don't really get rattled. You know, they got rattled against Milwaukee. They didn't get. They haven't gotten rattled against Philly. And look, I, I say this, Tate Frazier. I am a huge 76. It's, I'm a passionate 76 fan. I love them. But I'm also, I'm also realistic. And... There's a lot of areas that the team, to me, has declined as not good enough as, as Boston. Boston plays better than they do, and Boston deserves to win the series. I mean, look, when your best player has 1.1 game, and then the great Robert Covington has one point the next week, and Saric, have you seen Saric? Is he on America's Most Wanted? I mean, <laughs> We're seriously. We're trying to find him. Or yes. Corations yeah, Most Wanted Yeah, he's on the, the milk carton right now, just yeah, as Dario I, I, Saric. I mean, the guy shoots more air. What's the over-under on the air balls for tonight? I think it's going to be six and a half. Have you ever seen a guy <laughs> in the low post who can't finish? I mean... Well, that, that, that's sort of the problem with the Sixers I'm, right now. We I'm got some hurting. problem with inbounds passes, the JJ inbounds <laughs> pass. And I, I will say this, JJ Redick, you know, I, I consider him an enemy of mine. Uh, that inbounds pass for anybody else, I, I excuse them. If Dario Sarge makes that inbounds pass, I excuse him because it's the play that was being run. But JJ Redick, we know, is considered one of the smartest basketball players on the planet. He considered himself to be that. So I, I expected more from JJ. So I wouldn't say I'm upset, but I was just disappointed. Yeah, I, I think the whole thing is a shame. I mean, I look, I'm enjoying the playoffs. It gives me something to bitch about. It gives me something to cheer. <laughs> about you know so i mean i don't know it's just it's it, it, it was a fun game at least in yeah, Philadelphia. yeah you know you can say that see i've lived through al henry you don't even know who al henry is first pick i've lived through picking uh sean bradley over chris weber i mean i've lived through all this like the six or the pain you know we picked we picked um I lived through Michael Hughes. Carter Williams being picked before Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, or how about we pick, oh we traded nobody writes this. Of course, this is not allowed to be written. It's almost like the Russians are keeping it out of the media. You know, is that like we traded Nolan's we traded Drew Holiday for Nolan's Noel. Like, could you imagine if we had Drew Holiday on the team? That might help a little bit. But anyway, that not being said, 
I just think it's it, it's but painful for the Sixers when you watch because there's this the past always comes back on you and there's so much of the past of you know Larry Hughes over Paul Pierce like at some point I think it's a great lesson and this is really what to me is it takes talent to evaluate talent and all this talk about process and all this talk about everything the draft everything it's an evaluation and you've got to be very good at it. and Danny Ainge is better at his job than Jerry or whatever Brian Colangelo is at any his Colangelo job at or any point. Colangelo is at his job. I mean, that's the reality. And so that's what you have to hope for. And that's why LeBron's takes the Colangelo factor out of the 76ers because now you just sign them. I mean, Millie can sign LeBron. You know, like she said, hey, that's a good idea. Let's sign him, right? And you talk about mentorship on this Philadelphia team. If you do bring a LeBron James in, you have Ben Simmons there. LeBron James is someone that knows his spots on the floor. He knows where he needs to go with the basketball. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to you know, be able to stay in the game. We, we've talked about this. I mean, he picks his spots in games. He knows when to rest in a game. He doesn't have to sit on the bench. Right. He, he he is so smart with the way he's working a game. And the way he just did this, uh, we talked about the other, the other side of the Eastern Conference. LeBron James comes down and rips... Uh, the Raptors' hearts out again in Cleveland, coming down. Nobody stops ball. He goes all the way down the floor, floats up a little bank shot, and he wins the game. He's the hero. I mean, look, I, you know, I feel bad for Casey because he can't, he can't beat this team. I mean, he can't, right? And Brown, I, I mean, people think Casey and Brown could get fired by this time next week. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's could be real. And you got these are two bad. guys that were coach of the year candidates. Yeah, not no too doubt. Long ago. You got to feel bad for him because I just sometimes it's about the design of the team and. You know, Toronto would have beaten Philly if they would like Philly had a hard time beating Toronto and Boston. I mean, they were going to have a hard time beating either one of those teams because during the season they didn't. But anyway, uh, I'm in pain, Tate Frazier, but I'm still going back to the draft and we picked Fultz over Tatum, but that's okay. It'll work out. Look, it's always darkest before the dawn and and the future is always bright. And uh, we believe the Philadelphia 76ers will figure something out. Just uh, that was a sponsored plug by me just to make sure that Philadelphia does (laughs) not turn on us. uh, Thanks, Tate. Uh, We have a lot of football stuff to talk about. There's been a lot of stuff going on, even though it is the offseason. And we have the New England Patriots and Baker Mayfield. There was a leak report. That came out uh, from Agent Jack Mills, who uh, said, said, said on a podcast that, you know, you make it a, that on draft day that he thought there may be a surprise at number two if Baker Mayfield was still available. Obviously, he was not. Cleveland took him number one. What, what, what What's the point of leaking this story? All right. So first of all, I love Jack Mills. Jack Mills, one of one of the best agents. He's from Boulder, Colorado. I used to call Jack all the time. Had a lot of players. Uh, had the great Tommy Vardell from uh, Stanford when we drafted him in the first round at Cleveland. I know Jack really well. We spent more time talking about the John Monet Ramsey case pretty much on the phone whenever <laughs> we would talk, you know, like we because he lives in Boulder. Uh-huh. And he, so like yeah. you got to come by. And I went by Tate Frazier to see the house. Have you ever been to Boulder? No, I have not. Like I went by to see the house where it all happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it blew me away. Like it was like, this doesn't even look like the neighborhood that you saw on television. Anyway, Jack was an expert on Jack's actually Jack's wife was an expert. So I have great respect for Jack. <laughs> However, in this and case, also murder mysteries and murder mysteries too. I, I got to solve those. But anyway, in this case, look, Here's the way the conversation goes. Jack's got a guy. He knows Mayfield was promised by somebody, and I think it was Cleveland, that he was going to be a top pick, right? So Mills knows this. He can't tell anybody. So when the Patriots call up and say, hey, we're, we really want to get to know Baker Mayfield, Mills is like, well, look, you're picking 23. There's no way he's going to make it to you. You know, What's the point? What's the point? And your answer back to him is, well, we can't really decide if we would trade up until we spend time with them. So there's a, the chicken and the egg here. Thing, yeah, it's right? a back and forth. Like there's really like, oh, no, we want to meet the kid because we're going to draft him. No, no, no. Time out. We need to know about the kid. So if you don't let us know about the kid, then you've taken any chance that we could possibly trade up. Now, the idea that the Patriots would trade assets to get to the top five is absurd. That's not who they are. 
I mean, just watch the draft. That's not who they are. And the fact that Baker may, I mean, I've had conversations with people there in New England. And I think Baker Mayfield was, they like Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield was a guy that they talked about. But I think Baker Mayfield was in the cluster of quarterbacks that they were evaluating. And they did a lot of homework on all of them. Because look, here's the thing you have to understand about quarterbacks that come out in the draft. And this is another Al Davis thing. Quarterbacks have to be evaluated by everybody in the organization. The defensive coordinators on all these teams. Now that's not happening in most of the NFL. Like I promise you, they should do it, but they're not doing it. You should watch Every single quarterback in the draft. Why? Because if you're going to get ready to go play Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, then you should have an idea about him, what he did in, in, in college. You need to know that. So and that's the only to, tape you have on him. That's the only point. tape you have on him. So you need to study him. It's the same thing Belichick. He probably figures he's going to play against the guy. I got to make sure I really know the guy inside and out. So when we play him, I got to feel for him. Does that mean they were going to draft him? I would find it absolutely preposterous to think that the Patriots were going to trade up a and B that they had the, the Mayfield was the highest rated quarterback on their board. I don't think that's true. But doesn't this cover the bases a little bit if you are representing someone like Baker Mayfield, who does go number one? And there's been a lot of pundits, us here included on GM Street, that said the value of the number one pick was right. maybe a stretch to take Baker there. This covers your bases right. a little bit to say the best franchise in football over the past, you know, 15 or so right. years wanted him at number two. Right. I, I think it's all PR. I think it's all to sell their pick, right? I think it's, it's all to sell it, to make sure that everybody sees it. I don't believe it's true. I think the agent's doing a good job, and I love Jack. I think he's doing a good job of making it feel that way. But look, I'm going back to what I said originally about Baker Mayfield. I have a hard time believing he was the best player in this draft, and I think the com combination of he and Denzel Ward together, I think the Browns, even though everybody will give them an A or B, whatever they're going to get in the draft, I think the Browns are going to regret this draft down the road. Is it just one of the... It's one of those things too with Baker where he there's so much pressure being the number one pick and now you have this little you know fail safe to say well you know Bill Belichick loved him right. he wanted exactly. to take him number two it's like it's perfect and like look Huey Headlines already announced that Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter he's, <laughs> yes. not, even, yes. he's not even he's, letting the, curve. he's he not Tyrod's even letting the, the competition come in there so mm -hmm. and then I thought it was I thought I mean we didn't talk about this afterwards then Greg Williams came on and said that he would have picked Denzel Ward, you know, like really, seriously, you want Greg Williams making picks for you? Seriously, it, that to me is boggles my mind. It would be like me going to work for IBM and all of a sudden I'm going to make decisions on the marketing <laughs> campaign. Like mm -hmm. at some point, you, your, your job is to coach the defense, you know, lean into your expertise, lean into your expertise. Your job isn't to manage the draft. Right. The draft is all about how you manage it, how you handle it. Like, like, Greg, OK, you favor a corner over a defensive lineman. You're the only guy in America that did because you didn't watch the Super Bowl. OK, you didn't watch the Super Bowl. You haven't watched any great uh, watch any of those teams. No team can cover if you can't rush. That's a fact. So, you know, but that being said, I don't want to pick on Cleveland. I don't want to pick on the 76ers either. So we'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, we'll talk about a team that, you know, we just brought up the team that was going to trade up, apparently, for Baker Mayfield at the number two spot. And that is the New England Patriots. And we have to talk about their quarterback, Tom Brady. He says uh, he has negotiated, and I say that in quotations, the next two years with his wife, Giselle, uh, about his future. Um, and those are family talks. So we have two more years of Tom Brady. And then we're going to get to the point where is he going to be franchise tagged in 2020? What, what will the future look like? Is he going to get a new contract with the Patriots? They have the seventh round pit, Danny Etling, that came in from LSU. Yeah. Uh, th there's a whole lot of stuff going on now to figure out what is the future for Tom Brady. Well, look, I, I think this. I think the future for all these great quarterbacks in the NFL has just gotten changed with the Matt Ryan contract. Look, I mean, Matt Ryan changed the landscape. First thing that happened, Kirk Cousins changed the landscape. And this is the whole genesis behind free agency. This is what the agents have always hoped for would happen in free agency. A free agent makes X. 
then a guy who's an established player will make X plus Y. And mm-hmm. that's what's happening with Kirk Cousins. And now Ryan got a contract. And then Aaron Rodgers is going to get a contract. And I think what's going on in New England, and this is just my own instinct, is I think when you win five Super Bowls and you've had as much success as they have, and they've all kind of swallowed the we're not making all this money routine. We're not taking all the coin. They've done that. I think now is the time where they're all saying to themselves, it's money time. And Brady, for all what he's saying about how unhappy he is, and the same thing with Gronk, I think it comes down to contract. And how couldn't it, Katie Frazier? How couldn't you look there and see Matt Ryan making what he's making and you've got five rings? How could you see what Kirk Cousins just got and not affect you? It's just human nature, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't fault Brady for that. You can't. I think the same thing's happened in San Antonio, too. I mean, they've done a great job. The same thing with the Patriots. Their locker room has kind of gotten a mess a little bit because of the the finances that go on in the league. And I think Kawhi Leonard, whether he gets traded, whether he's unhappy, I don't know the deal. But I think it comes down to at some point players get tired of swallowing their their financial situation for the good of the team. And it's hard to buy in when your price point isn't where you think it should be. Right. I mean, it's just it's it's so far removed. I mean, Kirk Cousins is so far, it isn't about guaranteed money. It's about. It's about respect by your peers. Look, you're the best player in the NFL. You've won the MVP or you've won Super Bowls. I mean, look, the reality of it is, is you want to get paid like the top players because you're walking around like, how much more can you take like that? Tim Duncan got out before it became a problem, but I think eventually it it comes a problem. Tim Duncan couldn't play anymore. He retired. It wasn't a problem. Brady's still playing at a high level. It's a problem. He's still a Super Bowl contending quarterback at this point. I want to talk about just the the landscape of the quarterback position and you brought up there, Matt Ryan. So Matt Ryan is now the $100 million man in the NFL. This is the richest contract in NFL history. He agreed to a five-year deal, $150 million with the $100 million guarantee. Uh, First off, who's the better $100 million man, John Gruden or Matt Ryan? (laughs) That's a great question, Dave Fraser. Uh, I would think Matt Ryan would be, you know, I would think because I think John Gruden really needs a personnel guy. I do think John Gruden. Need, I mean, I know Reggie McKenzie's there, but John's John can run ramshot over a, a most personnel guys. I think he needs somebody strong to tell him that. That being said, you know, the coach can make a huge difference. Don't get me wrong. I think the coaches are way underpaid in the NFL because if the cap's 175 million, 179 million and the head coach is running everything. He's worth $15 million a year. Most companies that do that would pay that, okay? So I, I agree with that. Now, going back to $100 million, Matt Ryan, look, the cap's at $180 million. The, your bet, you don't have enough good players to pay. This is where we are in the NFL. Everybody has cap room. All those teams, when I was at the Browns in 13, all that we talked about was, oh, we got to save cap room because we'll be the only team with cap room. Really? They all have cap room. Everybody has cap room. I mean, even the Rams who mismanaged their cap now came out of it with cap room, right? Mm-hmm. So they have cap room. Made some trades, made got some rid of trades, some money. dumped yep. some guys, Tavon, you know, whatever they did. So like cap room, there's not enough good players to pay. And when you get a great player, Ryan or whomever, you got to pay them. And mm-hmm. the numbers are going to keep going up. Where, where you get in trouble, really where you get in trouble with the cap is when you pay the Tavon Austins the top dollar. Again, it comes down to evaluation. You can't pay the middle level player the replaceable player, like an irreplaceable player. So you have five irreplaceable players on your team, whatever you think you have. Von Miller would be irreplaceable. You can't replace Von Miller, right? So you pay those guys. The ones you can replace, you just have to replace. They may not be as good, but you save cap room. And I think that's the approach you have to take. And that's why 
teams are not having cap trouble. And you talk about uh, it, it became like a, a fascination with the fact that Tom Brady would take less to get some of these other guys paid, to get some of these other players in for the Patriots. He was he was sacrificing dollars to get former players in, or more, or better players right, in, and right. stuff like Helping that. Helping so, the team. Yeah, exactly. So everyone you know was patting him on the back for that. But now he's sort of flipped on that narrative a little bit. And a lot of these quarterbacks are cashing in. And so we get Kirk Cousins is the richest man in the NFL. He gets two months of that. And now Matt Ryan's the richest man in the NFL. How much longer until Aaron, Aaron I mean, Rodgers? How, how is Aaron Rodgers not the richest and, man And now he says it's going to be soon. But he's the next one up, and apparently, you know, so Matt Ryan's guaranteed 100 million. He's gonna like here's your why, and he's gonna get 110 million guaranteed. Right. So that here's the problem: is what do you pay the the guys like Carson Wentz? To me, after what he did last year, he deserves to get paid in that category. Do I think Jared Goff deserves to get paid in that category? No. And that's where you got to decide where you want to be. Cincinnati's got a hell of a deal with Andy Dalton because they know he's not as good as those other guys, and they're paying him modestly okay it's the same thing with Flacco now you paid Flacco like he's a star and he's still getting paid in that top category you got to do something about that I want to talk about one other quarterback that that's an interesting wrinkle in his situation that's the Russell and Bustle Russell Wilson it came out that there there's a plan in Seattle to franchise tag Russell Wilson to sort of go about the Kirk Cousins route of thing instead of giving him a long-term deal um I, I, you find that a little interesting because, I mean, everyone talks about the, the college atmosphere that is in Seattle that Pete Carroll, yeah, Pete Carroll that, runs. It's kind I mean, of worn its walk about a little bit, hasn't could it? Could that be something that happens with Russell Wilson? Yeah, I, I think Seattle really – Seattle needs a teardown. I think Seattle needs to really go through – I think this season is going to determine what Pete does. I think if Pete thinks he can coach his way and manage this team to, a, to the division title or playoffs, but if he doesn't make the playoffs and if he doesn't take this step forward, I think it's a teardown. I think it's time to go in. Forget about you know remodeling. Like We're going to tear this thing down. Let's go we'll, – let's use Russell Wilson as the centerpiece. Let's pay him, and then let's get everybody else around because unless we do this – we're not going to be able to do it. Maybe it's time to trade Earl Thomas at that point. I, there's no way they're going to extend Earl Thomas. There's no way they're going to do that. I think they got to get their cap in order. And I think the one thing, and I've said this repeatedly about Seattle, until they get back to who they were and start hitting on some of these players. I mean, they've lived off of one draft, Tate Frazier, and they got to find a way to come back and do that. And I think that's really key. And that one draft was coming from Pete Carroll knowing these players, in being college, in college exactly. football and being able to scout exactly. them face-to-face in person. And that's exactly. why a lot of people say that draft went so well for them. Exactly. Even- and that's what, the, that's what they don't have right now. Their talent pool isn't as good as they needed to be. Now they've changed a bunch of coaches. So, right. So, you know, we're in the veterinarian business when you're in football, right? So the patient doesn't talk to us. So it's either players, coaches, or scheme. So they fired a lot of coaches on offense, right? They kept some of the players and they're going to change a little bit of the scheme. If that doesn't work this year, then really it comes down to saying, you know, we don't have enough good players. That's going to be the key. And that's why I'm saying it's a remodel. To, it's time to it's time to rebuild as opposed to remodel. And right now it is the 2019. That, that is the year that we're looking at for all these quarterbacks, you know, coming up, talking about Brady, talking about Russell Wilson and you're going to see what happens in that 2020 class to see maybe if Russell Wilson's in that situation and it's like you choose me or you choose Carol if not I'm signing this franchise tag right. and, and we're going right. to have to figure it out every and, single and year. And at some point I think you know Pete's got to look at his long term too. Where does he want to go with it? I think Pete's at the point where he built it once I think he's going to want to build it again. I don't think he's going to want to leave and Paul Allen's got I mean we saw Paul Allen in the draft room which is rare. You never usually see Paul Allen around. So I think there's an anxious moment up in Seattle. And this year because of the 49ers, because of the Rams being so much improved and better, I think it's going to be a hard fight for Seattle to come back and I think it's going to be this year is going to be a very telltale sign. That's a team that you have to watch and monitor because it can go really it can maybe they could turn it around. 
or maybe they can't. And I would, I, I would say that just because Russell Wilson, I mean, he has said that he wants to play on one franchise. He wants to be like right. Derek Jeter in football. But why would they get rid of him? Like, they're not going to replace him, you know, with somebody else. I mean, that's going to be the hard thing. But he's also left for greener pastures before. I mean, we saw it in college at NC State. You yeah, got, he got tired of T.O.B. That's only because goes, of the great Mike Lennon came in and they were going to play Mike <laughs> Lennon at quarterback. Well, Tom O'Brien, that's the way he wanted. He was like, you you can't tell me uh, if you're going to play baseball, you're out. And uh, Russell played baseball and he went to Wisconsin and the rest is history. Let's talk about another guy that just got drafted out of Louisville. A, quarterback a lot of that, talk about that, this that we're guy. enamored with. Uh, he is the number 32 pick, and that is Lamar Jackson. He was at Ravens camp, and uh, I have a little tidbit from Hayden Hurst. Uh, he said, it's pretty cool having a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback throwing you the football. He's going to make plays. That's what he does. I'm excited to get open for him. His first day on Saturday, he comes in. He's throwing strikes down the middle of the field to to Hayden Hurst, and and, and everyone's very excited what they saw. I, what do you think about Lamar Jackson? You know, just talking to some people, I think Lamar impressed a lot of people at their camp. I think when you look at what he's been able to do through the deep ball really well at practice, I think he gives them a lot of life. I, I think Lamar's made the coach is nervous. And why? Because I think fans don't really understand that when you're a coach and you got Flacco and you got Lamar, it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy room to watch tape, right? You, you you can see the talent in Lamar. There's tension. There's tension. And and Flacco knows there's tension because he knows he's he can do the mathematics, right? So this summer when he's on Avalon Beach and he's hanging out, you know, it, he knows Lamar's breathing down his neck. And Lamar can do some things that he can't do. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on the coaches offensively. This whole rhetoric that I've read, well, they're going to run the same offense. No, 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 they're going to put an offense in that fits Lamar. And he can throw the ball vertically down the field, which is what Flacco could do really well at one time in his life. Not sure he does it as well as he used to. But I think this Lamar move, I've loved Lamar coming out. I think Lamar went in there, and I think Lamar sold them on, A, his work ethic, B, he's more accurate than they thought, and he can throw the deep ball really well. And what someone told me was he's really, really fast, which we all knew, but he didn't time. For some reason, the kid decided not to time. If he would have timed the 40, I think that would have probably helped him a lot more than not running, but he's fast. But it also could be one of those things where maybe that's a decision that was made up top where maybe you fall to a better team like the Baltimore Ravens, right. and now you have a real chance I, to be the starting quarterback. I think he's sitting in the driver's seat. I really do, Tay Frazier. I think he's in a perfect spot because he can come in there, and Flacco will come in, and he can change the pace of the game, and he can create some problems. And if you're not fast on defense, like New England's horizontal defensive speed is a problem, or if you go down and you play Cincinnati or one of those teams that doesn't have great speed at linebacker, and you put him on the field for a few plays, especially in the red zone, wow, watch out. And you talk about John Harbaugh after watching him on Saturday. He said the thing that I was really impressed with was I thought he was accurate. You read reports and stuff about him not being accurate, but he was out here and he was making the throws. I thought it was a big plus. So if you have John Harbaugh watches him one day, says he's making the throws they expect him to make as a professional quarterback, which is, you know, somehow became the knock on him that he wasn't going to be able right. to do this, even though he ran a pro style offense. Right. As we and, I, and I think Harbaugh realizes it's, you know, th th talk about another team. I mean, Seattle and Baltimore, I think, are parallel teams in the sense that they 2013 are, was about their prime. And now right. we're trying to figure out what the next chapter exactly is. Exactly right. And so I think that, that Harbaugh sees this and it's a good move for Harbaugh because when you take a young quarterback and you get behind him, all of a sudden, you're going to go high and low with them. And now you get yourself to extend your career a little bit. You know, I mean, this is a make or break time. I mean, look, we talked about three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri, right? Mm -hmm. we, there's three billboards in, in in Baltimore, Maryland, where they want they want to make the playoffs. They expect to make the playoffs, you know, and the owners put a lot of pressure on them. So my sense of this is, is look, unless they do it, John could be out of work. And if John gets behind a quarterback like Lamar Jackson – that's a job saver right there. That's a smart move to make. That's why you should always draft a quarterback whenever you get to a new job. The reason you usually get fired from a job or you get hired by a new play is because they don't have a quarterback. 
You know, mm-hmm. so that's the time to pick one. And now John, this point in his career, I think it's a great opportunity for him to build off of it. And it could be similar to what we saw Jim Harbaugh do when he had the Alex Smith and the Colin Kaepernick right. and you have a standard prototypical quarterback, but then you have a playmaker who you can put into the game right. and change things and, right. and, and add a dynamic uh, asset to your offense. And, that, and that's a great point. And I think this, I've always believed it takes 20 games to really evaluate a quarterback. And those 20 games, it allows you to see, you know, what that quarterback ultimately strengths and weaknesses are. And that's where I think Kaepernick has struggled because once people took away what he wanted to do really well, which was run and do all that, and then he didn't run, he became not as good a player. I think the same thing's going to happen to Lamar. He's going to show the NFL what he's capable of doing, and teams are going to try to take that away. And then he's going to have to change and be able to still play within that when they take it away. Deshaun Watson did that quickly. I mean, he was, they tried to play him a certain way. It didn't bother him. He went on. And I think that's going to be the key. The first year with Lamar, when he plays that first year and a half, it'll be hard to defend him because I'm telling you, Tate Frazier, the speed of the game is going to be hard to simulate when you get ready to play him. And you talk about, uh, at this point, Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson apparently have not connected at all. They have not spoken to one another. So we're in the situation where, you know, there is a quarterback that is already in place. There is an heir apparent sitting there, and it'll be uh, drama in in, Baltimore. I think too much is made of that. Look, we're not running a tea club or a book club here, okay? (laughs) Like, we all have to get, like, we're we're trying to win. It's a competitive situation. Like, we don't all, you know. The key is 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 Lamar knows his role and Joe knows his role and it's it, and you know what it's all up for grabs. All right, Lombardi, we're gonna get to your beloved Eagles and talk about their quarterback situation and what's going on with Wentz. Uh, but first, we're gonna take a quick break. This is JJ Redick here to talk to you about the JJ Redick podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Currently, I play in the NBA for the Philadelphia 76ers, but you may know me from my previous teams, the LA Clippers, Milwaukee Bucks, and the Orlando Magic, or from my college days at Duke University. Being a professional basketball player, I have a great opportunity to talk to a lot of interesting people, and the podcast is a place where I can share those conversations with you, the listener. On my show, I sit down with athletes, celebrities, and a variety of other special guests. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the JJ Redick podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Now to Philadelphia. We got Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. I think this, you know, the one thing after thinking about the draft and going back to it, if you're a team like, you know, you got a really good opportunity perhaps to, if you didn't get the quarterback you need. Now they won't trade him to the Giants, obviously, but Foles will be, you know, but there's a good opportunity that if Wentz is back throwing and playing, you could seize the moment and maybe make a trade and get your quarterback of the future. But what year, you know, last year was the year of the quarterback who resurfaced, the Case Keenums, the Nick Foles, right? Who's that quarterback this year? Mm -hmm. Who's that guy going to be? Who's the guy going to come in and resurface? Christian Hackenberg. No. <laughs> Why? Sorry, is, that was too easy. Are you jumping? Are we going to Chris? No, no, no. We'll we'll go. We'll stick uh, with Wentz. I have but some commentary. We'll, on we'll that. save the we'll save the Christian Hagenberg talk because it's too. We don't want to waste it on this segment. I just want to say Carson Wentz very confident. He says, and that's in quotations, that he'll be ready for Week One. We all know he tore his ACL and LCL December tenth. Uh, that's a nine to twelve month recovery usually. But Carson Wentz seems to be ahead of schedule, and he says uh, that he and Nick are happy, and you know he knows Nick won the title. He wants to get back in there. When it, it, it may be one of those things where we see a, a drop off usually after. Champion, but if you have Carson Wentz coming back, who is hungry to make this run, it, it helps the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I, I think the whole the hardest thing is going to be, you know, look, he all this rehab and all this stuff is great because there's no live bullets going and there's nothing really fast happening. Once that game, cha- I mean, he's got to change the way he plays. He can't play the way he played last year. He's going to get hurt again, and so he's got to change how he plays. 
and they've got to modify that. But the, I think the guy's great. I think he'll change how he plays, and I think the way he improved from year one to year two, if he takes that same improvement, the sky's the limit. And you talk about, uh, I think a lot of people, that's been the conversation that Carson has to change the way that he plays football because of the hit he took and some of the other hits he's taken that didn't get him hurt, but, you know, were a, a dangerous, quote-unquote, uh, is he similar to a Cam Newton where he can take these big hits? I mean, he is a big guy, he's six foot five, but Cam may be a different type of type of animal, honestly, to be able to handle all those hits. No, I, I don't think you could take 16 games and taking those hits just wear on you. It's just too hard. I mean, you put yourself at risk, you put your team he's at risk. He's kind of talked out of both sides. Of it. I've seen him do a bunch of interviews. He did like an ESPN feature. He was on NFL Network. And whenever they ask him, you know, he does a thing where, yeah, I'm trying to clean up, but I'm also not going to change the way I play because I'm an aggressive player. So when you talk out of both sides of your mouth, I. I, I, I I think this. I think he can't change how he plays. I think he can change how he ends plays. I think the way he moves around in the pocket, the way he buys time on third down, the way he can get away from people, but there's a time he needs to slide. And there's a time he needs to just live for the next play and not do that. And I think that's really the coaching point here. It isn't like we don't want you to become less aggressive. We want you to still be aggressive, but be smart aggressive. Like go out of bounds. Step out of bounds. Don't take on, don't lower your head and take on two linebackers coming right at you. That's not smart. That's not good for the team. And I think that is really what he has to work on. And the other thing I have to ask is, is there a rush to get him back? He keeps saying he wants to be back for week one. He wants to be back in the huddle. He wants to be back on the field. But you do have the Super Bowl MVP who is sitting right there. Right. I mean, what, what is the rush? I mean, the, the, I, I, team- I think he's got to go in a live bull. I think he's got to go in a game where the speed of the game is a little different. I mean, the third preseason game to me would be when you want Carson Wentz back out there a little bit, just so he get a feel for the game. I don't think you want it week three of the season where he's not played against anybody. And all of a sudden he's out there. I think you want him out there when it's time to to feel the some of the speed of the game in the preseason when people are flying and get his feet kind of accustomed to it and let him get used to the game and then kind of see where he is from that point and and kind of integrate him into the game. I don't know if you can just go cold and not have any preseason games and just put him right out there. I think it'd be hard. I think there, there's a guy that may be going out there cold and probably needs to work on his footwork and some other things, and that is quarterback Christian Hackenberg. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why out- is he still on the Jets? Like, why are the Jets <laughs> – see, this is the perfect example of of a team won't admit they made a mistake. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying we blew it. Like, okay, the media is going to make fun of you. The, the joke of all time, okay, Christian Hackenberg's had Bill – Bill O'Brien coached him at Penn State, right? He said Jeremy Bates was a good quarterback coach. He had Chan Galley, I think, one year at the Jets, right? Mm-hmm. So he's had three really good guys that know how to coach a quarterback. And a lot of history of football. We talk about right. someone like Chan Galley. And Gale. now some guy who's never coached in the NFL is going to change his mechanics and is going to make him more accurate. Are you kidding me? And th- and this guy's getting stories written about him in the paper. It's a joke. Yeah, the Jets had no idea this came out. Of they course said they, they didn't had, have they had any no idea. idea that he was changing his throwing of, motion. Of course they didn't have any idea. Like, why would they have any idea? Like, this guy, what, what's his track record? Like, you know, that Don Henley song expert witness like who is this guy like where's he come from so to me the reality of this situation is like if you're hackenberg people don't understand that the nfl is a mathematical problem there's only so many reps you can have if you want sam darnold to be the starter he needs to get all the reps and then josh mccallan needs to get some of the reps and then hackenberg can't get any every rep (laughs) hackenberg's takes you're hurting the team you're hurting darnold you're hurting darnold like at some point, Mike McKagan as the GM of the team has to just sit there and swallow and say, I blew it. Didn't work out. I'm happy to have Darnold. I got to do everything in my power to make sure Darnold gets ready to play. What's wrong with that? We all make mistakes. Like there's nothing wrong with it. The more you don't, like they finally cut Petty, right? Uh-huh. Okay. But the more you keep hanging on to this, like the more you're just like, it all of a sudden sells, a, a, you're protecting your draft picks. And that goes into the locker room. The players in the locker room are like, wait a minute, 
Why is Petty? Why is Hackenberg on the team? Why is he taking a roster spot? Why is he taking a roster spot? We need, you know, we, we need, need more linebackers. We need more safeties. You're just trying to save a draft pick, is basically. Mm-hmm. But you're also trying to protect that value too. I mean, it, it seems like this what is one of those things. What value does he have? <laughs> I know, but it what seems like they're does... trying to pl- not the Jets. I'm saying Christian Hackenberg, whoever is running his party, is trying to to get his but value like, back up on like the marketplace. Where, like who? Okay, would somebody trade a seventh if for him? Maybe they would. I mean, because look, let's face it. I mean, the the Browns got a seventh for Kevin Hogan. You know, so I, I wouldn't say he wouldn't get. But at some point, I don't think Bill O'Brien's sitting there calling, hey, why don't you trend me Hackenberg? At some point, you have to admit the pick's a blown pick. The guy can't play. That's the reality of it. Like, if he could play, you would have traded all those assets to go get him a quarterback. The good news is there is a team down south that will try to figure out if he can play and give him a contract, and that is the Miami Dolphins. And we saw that with Bryce Petty. Bryce Petty goes down well, to the Dolphins. That's because the great Mike Tannenbaum said that all those young quarterbacks have a, are young. Do you think young. Mike Tannenbaum just watches the Jets and that he thinks he can only pull from those players? It's just like a it's little bit of a rivalry. Like he's got, now, look at, that, look at the quarterback situation in Miami. <laughs> You Tannehill. Got, you got Tannehill's coming off of injuries, right? Mm-hmm. You got the heist. Mm-hmm. Brock. You know, you got him down there, right? So you got him. You got David Fells. Yes. And now you got Bryce Petty. All One thing we know for sure, three of the four. This may be tough news for David Fells. I mean, three of the four aren't going to I mean, if they got to go to any one of the three. I mean, did they watch the Jets play? Bryce Petty's a great kid. Did they watch the Jets play last year when Bryce Petty had to come play? Seriously. I think, I hope they did. He's a good QB number three. Yeah, it doesn't have like that drives me crazy. He's a perfect three. If he has to play, he can't play. Like, why am I carrying a? Wouldn't you be better to have a guy on your practice squad? You know, then you're going in the game. You're preaching the-, the choir to every single player on defense right now. They, they don't want to see four quarterbacks walking up to I practice. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, like, and the, the, I love the Miami. Well, you know, they all have a bright future because they're all so young. Did he watch? You think? Did think Tannenbaum watched Brock Osweiler play? Do you think he actually watched him? Probably at Arizona State. Wow, Tate Frazier. <laughs> it's a tough time. Uh, let's talk about uh, a guy that is leaving the game of football, a guy that is uh, respected pretty much everywhere as far as uh, football circles go, and that is Jason Witten, a guy that steps away from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he goes from a cowboy to a cowman. Um, he finally waltzes away. Jerry Jones looks him directly in the eye and tells him how much he means to the Dallas Cowboys franchise. He will be a part of the Dallas Cowboys forever. Um, it was it was a sweet ceremony. Jason Garrett, right in his, his climax of his main story about how much Jason Witten means to the Dallas Cowboys. They cut him and then they go to another, they go to the commercial, I believe, and they just cut him out and, and didn't let him finish. So I felt bad for the clapper. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it was a beautiful ceremony and uh, we wish, you know, Jason Witten all the best. I think I think it'll be great for Jason Witt. I think he did the right thing because look, if he'd come back and play, look, the Cowboys were slow, slow, slow last year on offense, and Jason Witten is a man's man. He's a great player. He'll be honored. He'll be remembered as a great player with great hands. But at some point, the career comes to an end. I think he did the right thing, and I think the reality here is starting to set in on Des Bryant, Tate Frazier, because Des Bryant isn't generating any interest. I mean, here's a guy who's on the cap for twelve million dollars, sixteen million cap charge, twelve million cash. And no one's interested. There's like nobody beating his door down. What does that tell you? People actually watch tape in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants it. And I think Dallas is late to the party here. Witten, they probably should have done this in February with Dez. They should have done it in February with Witten. But they're, Jerry, for whatever reasons, and you can criticize Jerry all you want, he's a loyal guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't want to really, I mean, they would have brought. These they, are more emotional decisions than they were personnel exactly. decisions. Exactly. And when you bring emotion into the situation, it's not going to be good for you. So, 
I think Jason Witten will be great on television. We also have uh, Booger McFarland's going to be the Cyron reporter. Did you see that now? No, I did not. Yeah, Booger Congratulations, Mc... Booger. Well, they haven't decided. ESPN hasn't decided who will actually be the sideline woman. I think it's Lisa Salter's role mm-hmm. last year. She mm-hmm. could come back in it. I think they're going through the process of interviewing other people. That being said, they're also going to have an on-the-field analyst. <laughs> so there's going to be four people. This ought to get funny now. This will be hilarious. This I hope it's up. Rex Ryan. Please be Rex oh, Ryan. Oh, no, it's going to be Booger McFarland. He's going to be the on-the-field analyst. He's added to the no, team. No, I'm saying let Rex Ryan be the sideline reporter. Oh, the, no, no. The, they got, they he's the new Lisa Salters. No, I think they'll probably <laughs> leave Lisa down there to tell us you know, what we're reading on Twitter mm-hmm. that you know this guy's hurt and he's not coming back in the game. Maybe you know? just retwitter down on the sideline. You know, Get that's really read some should, tweets. Maybe that's what they should do. Uh, I always thought that role was a good role. Like I think Todd McShay does a good job on college when he's down there on the field because you can see some things, if you, especially if you know th- what's going on on the sideline, you can give the fans some insight into what's happening, especially coaches that, that, that you know, as they're going over and making the adjustments. But I, 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 it's going to be fascinating to see how these games go on Monday night as they try to recover and how Witten does. I think Witten will do a good job. It's going to be interesting to see how Booger does with this role. Yeah, absolutely. And Jason Witten is uh, very excited about his TV. There, there was the weird period where no one, you know, came out as do Monday Night Football, and then there was some time that Jason Garrett apparently was trying to convince him to come back. Uh, Why would Garrett football? want to? Come, I mean, seriously, did he want? I mean, I know you want. I know you want Witten in your, on your team. I want to. I want a team with Witten. But seriously, at, at, you know, I used to say this at the Raiders all the time. We're in a, a couple injuries away from having a good team. You know, and so like they needed a couple retirements before they get faster. Like you don't really want to just fire Witten because he's such a great player and he's such a you know. But you got to make some non-emotional decisions, and you need to get faster on defense. I mean, on offense, you needed to. Mm-hmm. But you know, everybody gets emotional. Everybody gets emotional every once in a while. Uh, let's talk about Deshaun Kaiser, a guy that had to go through some ups and downs, and probably an emotional roller coaster under Huey headlines uh, last year with the Cleveland Browns. He is out of town. He's now with the Green Bay Packers, and uh, some people were saying they consider his him agent Mike McCarthy a QB one. Yeah, Mike McCartney said that he felt like he could be a, he would have been a first round pick in this draft. And, you know, I don't know if Mike thought that he should be a first round pick in this draft based on if he would have gone to Notre Dame for another year mm-hmm. or based on his experience at under working under Huey headlines, <laughs> uh, you know, which I'm sure you could write a book about that. But anyway, that being said, I, I do think Kaiser has a chance to get away from Cleveland and kind of get his career going a little bit better, you know, because there's enough talent. It's just not accurate enough. Like to me, when you watched it, the difference between Kaiser and Jackson, when you watched him in college, Jackson wasn't as bad inaccurate. He was inaccurate at times, just like Deshaun Watson was, but Kaiser's like really badly inaccurate. And I think that that's always going to be why he was never going to be a first round pick. And he always looked very young and, you know, it seemed like he needed to develop more. And obviously right. we remember Kelly saying that he wished he would have come back to help him develop more. I think he should have. And I think, you know, but now he's in green Bay and, you know, he'll have the preseason and get the game going underneath of him. And, and, and I'm sure he's going to get feel a lot less of the pressure on him having to be the guy in Cleveland go to Green Bay. And so, we've seen guys in that system like a Matt Flynn, like a Brett Hundley, that when they ha- are surrounded by those genius offensive minds, they can make things look And I good. think being with Aaron Rodgers will help the kid. I really do. I, I Like, I think that's a good trade for, for Green Bay. I really do. And John Dorsey dumping him. He had to because he needed to get rid of the past. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's hard to bring that back into the locker room after what happened last season, going O for the entire time. Uh, let's talk about a guy, Sherman Williams. Yeah, ex- this is the, the wrap-up of the show here. The wrap-up of the show. The, uh, Did the- you, do you know who Sherman Williams was? No, you you were enlightening me. So I, the w- name sounds right. I thought you said Sherwin Williams at first. So it, this is the 1996 draft. We're in Cleveland, and we had gotten a phone call from the league office about we had the ninth pick overall in the draft, mm-hmm. and we were going to pick 
Kyle Brady or, you know, and Warren Sapp could have been there. And for some reason, the Jets, who already had uh, Johnny Mitchell, who was a good tight end from Nebraska at one time, was on their team. And then they picked Kyle Brady ahead of us. And people thought we panicked and went crazy. Well, the reason we didn't, which was a complete lie, all those stories about what happens in a draft room is usually. So what happened was fabrication, fabricate. We couldn't pick. I mean, Warren Sapp had some some stuff that was being spread around him. Not true at all. But it was on that draft day. So we traded down and we let the 49ers come all the way up to pick J.J. Stokes. And we ended up getting a first round pick the next year, which ended up being Ray Lewis. Okay, Belichick and I both got fired. It ended up being Ray Lewis. But we traded down and we're sitting there in the bottom of the first round. And we thought we were deciding between Craig Powell and Curtis Martin. And we thought, well, you know, Curtis Martin was hurt quite a bit at Pitt. And his durability was real issue. And we felt like Dallas was going to pick him at the at the top of the second. And then we heard late that day that they were going to pick Williams, Sherman Williams, at the top of the second. So we made the decision, all right, we'll pick Powell here and we'll get we'll get Martin later. And five picks before we get ready to pick Martin in the third round, because we didn't have a second that year, the Patriots pick him and we lose him. So every time I see Sherman Williams' name, I think about that unbelievably dumb decision we made to pick Powell over Curtis Martin. Even though we had him graded right, we still made the wrong decision and you just got to face the reality. So when I read today that the kid came out and he got his college degree, that kind of reminded me of a horrible day. That day I went home, I was, every clothes I had on, I told Millie, you burn everything I have. <laughs> burn it. I'm never wearing this again. This is like the worst thing that ever happened. Because we just couldn't get any rhythm. We were, wanted to pick Tamarick Vanover. We wanted Curtis Martin. We had like really a good draft plan, and we just couldn't execute it because we just didn't, we just kind of misjudged where they were going to go. Yeah, and it's one of those things. We, we should say congratulations to Sherman Williams. Gets his Alabama degree after 14 years in prison. He gets out and gets his degree. Uh, I will say, this is, it reminds me of your Sixers a little bit, what you're talking about. You, got yeah. a little, you try to get a little too cute, right? You, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Sixers, yeah, we, we traded we, we traded an asset to get faults. So did I mention that to you before on the podcast? <laughs> no, I, mean, I just want to create, create some empathy, you know, some understanding between you us know, and I mean, the Sixers. look, we all make mistakes in a draft. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. doubt. I mean, we, and the thing you have to do is admit you make them, but the reality of it is, is you can't make them twice. Yep. And so we did there on that day. And, and unfortunately, we had the right guy. Scott O'Brien coached Curtis Martin at Pitt. We knew a lot about Curtis Martin. We went down to Texas and spent time with him down there. We were going to pick him. And then, you know, we just, and it wasn't a decision that we were, you know, we just thought the linebacker was going to go earlier and we, we went on it, made a great trade, did a lot of really good things, except the execution wasn't very good. And it comes down to the story. You got to evaluate correctly. If you don't, all this process, if you're not evaluating right, even the process isn't going to get you there. Tate mm-hmm. Fraser. Well, we are. We try our best to evaluate as best we can here on GM Street. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to say uh, and give you some some time to give your final NBA thoughts. Uh, if you look at it right now, are we expecting to see the Cavaliers and LeBron James taking on the Golden State Warriors? Oh, I think there's no doubt about that. I think, I think it's a so great too. series. I, I wonder now if everybody because it seems like all these series are going to end early. Will Will they move up the finals? I believe so. Yeah. The hardest thing for me is now that you know I go back to New Jersey at the end of May. It's just staying awake for the finals. Mm-hmm. You know, because now you're on the East Coast. That's the worst part about the the West Coast games when you're on the East Coast. That's the hardest thing. But look, I I think LeBron has proven beyond a shadow. I mean, he's amazing. The guy's just really amazing what he's done with the team. I find it very strange that it seems like every time LeBron James does something, we have to have the conversation of the validation to say that he is great. I think we we all know LeBron James is great. Why? 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 Every single time he does anything, we have to have the same conversation. It's ridiculous. Like just like man, get off the guy's back. Yeah, he's great. Come to Philly, please, LeBron. (laughs) Come to Philly. This is is the. I'm going to leave a sign in here. I'm leaving a sign in here so when Bill comes back, he sees that we. 
we want LeBron back in Philly. That yeah. we need LeBron in Philly. Tate Frazier. Yeah, come on. Will Chamberlain played. You there? see these commercials here in LA where the guy's taking credit for putting the billboards yeah, up. Yeah, what he's doing the the lawyer. The, yeah, yeah, like what is that about? It was, like, it was a very bad billboard. Like, I, honestly, uh, if I was LeBron James, like, I would see that and say I am not going like, to. Why is like if you're going to do that, you have to tell everybody you're doing it. For people that, that don't know about this, there are signs that say LA Bron LeBron, please come to LA, and it's a lawyer in town, and uh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's the strangest. It's a lawyer thing. who's like an injury lawyer, injury <laughs> yes, settlement yes. lawyer, like an ambulance chase lawyer type guy. Yeah, like, an ambulance on. chaser. Yeah. Exactly. Like if you're going to do that, you don't have to tell him. It's like tipping somebody. Like you, you have to tell people what you tip. Like no, just leave a nice tip. Yeah, and you also, I mean, the people that are going to re- recoup LeBron James to come to LA, gonna, to yeah, it's going to be Magic Johnson, or, yeah. you know, someone like that, or or maybe anyway. Bob Iger, or, you know, someone with a lot more power than uh, than my man on the billboard. But you know, we talked about three billboards. This is one billboard. You never know what will happen. This has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier. We'll be back in two weeks, Tate Frazier. And yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, that is the new rotation here for the summertime. We know it's. Thanks for listening. 